The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us on a beautiful Lord's Day. Recently, we've looked at two minor prophets. We've made our way through the books of Jonah and the books of Hosea. And these are two of the more well-known minor prophets. But there are others that barely get read. And one of these is the book of Obadiah. It's so small that it doesn't even contain any chapters. It's comprised of 21 verses. That's it. And so what you can do is you can go home today and you can read it in a matter of minutes. And then you can go tell all your friends, I read a book of the Bible today. What did you do? You know? um, although it is a small book, it has a long history. We virtually know nothing about the prophet himself. Uh, the name Obadiah, we know, was a common name. It, w- it was one that was used quite often. It means servant of the Lord. The book, however, is about Edom and, and Israel. Really, uh, you know, Israel... Um, split, and this is Judah, and this book is written after Jerusalem is conquered, but but Edom and Israel, and these two nations had a tumultuous history, and their history can be traced back to the book of Genesis. The people of Edom were the descendants of Esau, and the people of Israel were the descendants of Jacob, and so bad blood between two brothers turns into a rivalry between nations that last for hundreds of years. And I think there's a lesson there. Sin is destructive. And sometimes people suffer because of it for many, many years. Sin not only affects our own lives, it has the potential to affect the lives of our children and our children's children. And so this book begins with a judgment against Edom. But it ends with a message of hope for Israel. And although these words were written to to people who lived long ago and their situation was quite different than ours, uh, they still have meaning for us today. And so we gain much by studying and listening to the words of Obadiah. We are a society of winners. And what I mean by this is that competition is a big part of who we are. Winners are usually our heroes. These are the people we look up to. The the most watched event in our culture is the Super Bowl, a competition to determine who is the best football team. We we love it. We we love to root for one side or the other. Uh, You know, just uh, what was a couple weeks ago, we had the Women's World Cup. I'm not even a soccer fan, but I was in a restaurant, and it's on TV, you know, there, USA versus Japan. And I got excited about it. You know, I know enough about soccer. When you score that many goals at at first, it's it's a um, rare thing. And so we love winning. And for most most of us, this begins when we are children. We play games like tag, hide and seek, where the object of that game is not to be it. As we grow older, we get involved in sports or maybe other competitive activities. And, you know, when you're out there on the playground... The one thing that you dread is you never want to be picked last. You know, you want to be on that winning team. And there's something about that that just makes us feel good. 
Now, you might think, well, that's childhood, you know. I've grown up since then. Well, have we? I believe there is a competitiveness among many adults. Who has the better job? Who has the better car? Who has the better house? And although we don't speak about this openly often, uh, sometimes there is an underlying competitiveness even among adults. What about the church? Does competitiveness make its way into the realm of religion? Maybe. Maybe we compete with other churches. You know, we want the best this or that. Maybe we think of ourselves as winners and those who don't go to church as losers. And I guess in a sense, you know, we are winners. Most of us have a good job. Most of us have a house and at least one car. We don't go hungry. We have money to spend on entertainment. We are better off than most of the people in this world. And so what do you say to a church of winners? Well, Obadiah prophesied 3,000 years ago to a nation of winners. That was the nation of Edom. And in one brief chapter, he confronts those who congratulate themselves on their good fortune. And he speaks of, of temptations that all winners face. And so the first temptation of a winner is pride. We might think that we have succeeded because we have worked a little harder. Or maybe because we're a little smarter than others. We're just a little bit superior. We might look down the nose at others knowing that we've done a better job. We have succeeded where they have failed. We are winners and they are losers. Well, listen to what God says to Edom in Obadiah 3 verses, um, Obadiah verses 3 and 4. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. We might not like to admit it, but we too are sometimes tempted to be proud. We think that we've earned our position. We think that we are secure in our position. And like the Edomites, we think we live in the cleft of the rocks. We're secure. No one can touch us. No one can defeat us. Nothing can stop us now. But God didn't care what the Edomites thought. He doesn't care what we think. He doesn't care if we think that we're above it all, that we're above everyone else. He doesn't care if we think that we can soar like eagles. God says, I will bring you down. And there's that temptation to look down upon others. We know there are poor people. But we might think they're poor because, you know what, they just haven't worked as hard as we have. They're poor because they lack the ability and education that we have. And like Edom, we can even look down upon other nations. We're Americans. We've never lost a war. We're economically superior to other nations. And this mentality can even happen in the church. It's true that we are winners in Christ. We are victorious in Christ Jesus. But we can easily pervert this idea. We can think that we're superior to people who are not Christians. 
we can think that we are winners in Christ because of our effort and not because of what God has done. And so winners need a reminder. If we are successful, it's not because we're smarter, wiser, or harder workers than others. Whatever has caused us to win, whatever has gotten us to the place we are, we can only say it's because of God and what God has given us. And God can easily take that away. We must not become puffed up. So God warns Edom against pride. In other places in the Old Testament, God is very concerned about uh, Israel's pride. They are tempted to think that just because they are God's chosen people, they are superior to everyone else. And this has a, a tremendous uh, negative effect upon Israel. Um, they think that they're winners and they always will be, that nothing can touch them. Well, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, when Israel comes out of the wilderness and, and they're about to enter into the promised land, God warns them about this attitude. And he says there, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. As it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so what is the word to winners? What is the word of God to those who have wealth? What does God say to us who live in a good land? The warning is, don't think that you've accomplished this all by yourself. Because it is God who has given us everything. No matter how much we win, we're reminded that it is the Lord to whom we must be faithful. Well, who are the winners in the New Testament? It's hard to imagine anyone who would be bigger winners than the Pharisees. Many of them had money. Uh, they kept God's law. They thought of themselves as God's chosen people. But you'll remember the, the one day that Jesus told a story about a winner and a loser. And he tells this story for the purpose of those who might think of themselves as superior to others. It's found in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, where Jesus tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with con contempt. This is the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself thus prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we know this story. We're familiar with it. We hear this story and, and we're probably thankful that we're not like that Pharisee. We're thankful that we're humble 
But what do we really think when maybe we drive past that poor part of town? What do we think when we see people who have very little? Do we think to ourselves, dear God, I'm thankful I'm not like those people? Or do we say to ourselves, it's only by the grace of God that I am where I am today? And we need to remember that it is God who has given us what we have. But even that can be a source of pride. We might think that God has blessed us because somehow we deserve it. We should not think that we are secure in our nice homes. We should not feel secure with a large bank account. We need to remember the words of Job. It is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. And the question is, do we have enough faith to confess the last part of that verse? If the Lord chooses to take everything from us, if we end up like Job, can we say as Job did, blessed be the name of the Lord? If we are winners, let's beware the temptation of pride. But there's another temptation that comes to winners, a different form of pride. It's the temptation to look down upon others. So a little later in Obadiah, God condemns Edom for being happy when others lose. Notice what he says in, in verses 12 through 14. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroad to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. When God writes this, the Edomites were winners. They were winners who enjoyed crushing the losers. And when Jerusalem is destroyed and the people are carried off into exile, the Edomites cheer. They're happy. They're glad. They don't do anything to help God's people. They take the spoils. We read this and we may think, that's terrible. You know, how could anyone do that? Well, it is terrible, and hopefully we would never do the same. But what happens when someone we do not like runs into some bad luck? Do we think to ourselves, you know, that's awful? Or do we think they deserve what they got? What about the neighbor who's always trying to one-up you? You know, they have the nicer home, they have the swimming pool in back, they have a better job, they have a nicer car. Then one day, you know... Something happens to them. Do we smile to ourselves? Why might we have these strange thoughts? If we're honest, don't we have to admit that we secretly gloat sometimes when bad things happen to others? Maybe we don't gloat over the misfortune of others. But, but perhaps we do what the Edomites did so long ago. When things go bad for other people, we stand aside and do nothing. We don't hurt them. You know, we, we don't mean them no harm. We just, you know, mind our own business. After all, we, we can't do anything to help them, can we? 
Well, you remember another story Jesus told, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the priest and the Levite in that story do nothing to harm the man. They don't even rejoice in his misfortune. They simply pass by. Or you might remember Matthew 25 where Jesus describes the judgment scene. And there he he separates the sheep from the goats. And what makes one a sheep? Well, it's feeding the hungry. It's giving drink to the thirsty. It's helping the stranger. It's clothing the needy. That's what makes one a sheep. And what terrible things did the goats do to deserve the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels? Did they gloat over the misfortune of others? No. They simply did nothing. They saw those in need, and they did nothing. Well, I've talked a lot about winners. But what if we don't feel like a winner? And maybe we don't even consider ourselves as a loser either. Maybe the best that we can say about ourselves is, you know, I'm just a survivor. You know, you've been through life, and, and life's thrown you some curveballs. You know, you've faced some, some uphill battles, maybe a loss of job, loss of health, loss of a loved one. And by the grace of God, you've made it through those things, and you've survived. Well, Obadiah has a word for survivors also. The very last two verses in the book. He writes, the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Those are the last words in the book. And at first, this passage might not sound like much. But these words have great meaning. Those who survive will be winners. And the day is coming that you cannot imagine. The temple will be restored. People will go to Mount Zion to worship. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. And all of this is a promise to Israel. It's a promise that came true. The temple was rebuilt and they served the Lord again. But there's also a promise here to us. If our faith survives, we will see the new Jerusalem descend from heaven. We will see God face to face. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The kingdom will be the Lord's. And in that one phrase, we find the key to winning, losing, and being God's people. First of all, winning is an illusion. We shouldn't be proud as winners. It's simply a gift of God that he might take away. Secondly, losing is also an imposter. Because if we trust in God, no matter what happens to us, we will never be losers. Whether we are winners, losers, or survivors is not about us anyways. The kingdom will not be ours. Nor will it belong to others. The kingdom will be the Lord's. And that's the best news. Because if it seems some days like it's our world, 
we need to be reminded that it is not. It is our Father's world. And if He truly is our Lord and Father, then the question is not are we winners or are we losers or are we even survivors, but are we faithful to our Father? Because if we are, then we will be winners because we serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this time thanking you for another opportunity to worship you and to praise you and to study from your word. Father, we're thankful for all the blessings that we have. We're thankful for our jobs, our homes, uh, all the material blessings you've given us, our families, our children. We're thankful to live in a country that is prosperous and that grants us many freedoms that others do not enjoy. But at the same time, Father, allow us not to be puffed up, not to be prideful when we should be humble. May we remember where the source of all these blessings come from. It is not from our own doing. It is only from you. All good things come from you, Father. And we're most thankful for the ultimate gift that you gave us, your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.